Good afternoon and welcome. I'm really pleased to be here today with the candidates who are unopposed for District 6-3 in Burlington's Old North End. So we have our friends here who are going to introduce themselves and we're also going to take your calls at 862-3966. We have a half an hour for some questions and uh, discussion. Jill, please introduce yourself and tell us why you're running. Sure. Well, first of all, it's great to be here. Thank you for putting on these forums. I think it's really important, even with people who don't have opposition, to be able to have a conversation about what we care about and what we're working on. So thank you. Thank you, Channel 17. So my name is Jill Krowinski. I represent the Old North End in downtown Burlington with Kurt McCormick. And I'm running because I feel strongly about creating a Vermont that works for everyone, not just the wealthy few. A Vermont where families and communities can thrive and where the Vermont dream is accessible to everyone. And as I uh, meet with people in our district, when I'm at Barrio or the dog park or the farmer's market, um, what I'm hearing from people is that they want us to continue to working on, working on policies like paid family leave, like raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and um, to do what we can to help women in the workplace, especially um, with programs with workforce development and equal pay. So that's what's motivating me to run again for re-election. And um, I'll, also, I'll also add that uh, this past legislative session, we passed uh, a monumental bill um, around gun violence prevention measures that, that really did a lot to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep, hand, keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people in our state. And um, I, going through that process, especially with the students who were involved and so engaged, was just really inspiring to me. And, and those students are still involved and still want to be part of the process. And I, I think right now, given what's happening in our country and in Washington, uh, and we're realizing what's at stake for our country and our state and why these elections are so important, um, I, I think for me, it's just so motivating and inspiring uh, to be able to continue that dialogue with them and work with them and, and go back to the State House to, to be a mentor and to make sure that we're doing everything to support the next generation. So that's why I'm running again. Thank you so much. Kurt McCormick, tell us why you are running for re-election. This is actually, um, what term is this for you, Jill, first? Uh, this will be my fourth. And I was appointed at halfway through. That's so right. That's right. 2012 is when I was appointed. And Kurt, in, in this go-around. Yeah, um, Jill and I actually ran together back then in 2012. Got it. Um, so, yeah, I have to think again. It, I guess it's our, our, it will be our fourth term. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I also served in the legislature representing Rutland right. for uh, six and a half terms <laughs> uh, in the 1980s and 1990s. And um, I guess that's a good segue to um, one of the reasons I'm running again, is I am <clears throat> so uh, comfortable and I feel like I really have found my, my niche and my place in this world that's representing this district in the legislature because this district is um, a great district. It's so, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump on it, it's the greatest district that ever was. But, um, but for me, it, it really is. Um, and, it, um, and that's because uh, one reason I stay involved in politics and, and another reason I keep running the legislature is that I still cannot believe that we are not taking climate change uh, more seriously. And other environmental issues drive my politics as well, but um, mainly and now it's that one. And this district 
inherently are leaders, even those that may not think about the environment or climate or even care about it, by virtue of the fact that they live here. I did a study of this district um, last year um, to just verify and document things that, that are obvious. And, but the, um, the data was amazing. So the percentage of families, households, I shouldn't say families, households in this district that don't even have an automobile is 32%. Rivals New York City. The rest of the state is like six, between six and 7%. The country's about six to 7%. But this district is uh, 32%. Um, far more people walk to work in this district. Far more people take bicycles to work in this district. And more people take transit um, in this district. This district uses less energy per household and in heating uh, their homes. Uh, we use electricity, uh, a lot, something like 31% less electricity. Anybody interested, go to my website or call me and I'd be happy to, I'm, I'm, I love to share this, this study with other people. Uh, so I, I represent those points of view and I think that's the leadership that, that's needed in climate change is, you know, we can fight about, um, divesting in oil companies and, and that sort of thing. We can fight about the carbon tax. And, and um, to me, those things are nowhere near as important as using energy much more wisely, stop wasting it, and for us to live in communities again, like, like here in Burlington. So well, that's why I'm running. <laughs> well, and that's a good segue to one of our questions, which is how can Vermont turn climate change to its advantage? And it's, um, so I wonder maybe you could address that question building on what you just said. Yes, um, well, and to keep on that for just a moment longer, um, we passed some good legislation oh, three years ago now that made it very difficult to develop in sprawl anymore. And when that hit the streets, when it was implemented, even some of Jules and my colleagues who voted for it didn't realize how good it was, but to them it wasn't so good because they said, well, I just heard from this car dealer who can't build out on Route 7 now. And like, no, we want car dealers and everything else clustered in town, and we especially want people living in town again. And people want to do it. Millennials are moving into town and cities. Um, uh, that's nothing new. They've been doing it for, for years, and now my generation is doing it, um, following them. Um, People want to be in town, but we need to make development happen in town and stop the sprawl. So even today, you know, we, we, we now we find ourselves, we have to go out to the, the mall here in Burlington because we're so suburbanized now. So that's got to be reversed and, 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 um, and uh, we need to continue working on that. Um, and then, as I said, saving energy. Uh, there's, some, there's so many things we can do, and I'm not talking about the individual thinking, okay, what can I do? Well, that's good also. But the state can um, institutionalize conservation. How? Like the, the bills that we passed the last two years on um, energy efficiency standards on appliances and equipment. We passed two really good bills that, again, the public will hardly even notice it, but you may notice that your electric bills actually are less than they used to be. People our age know that. They just, they're, it's, a, it's a smaller amount. Why? One of the reasons 
is that the federal government has passed um, energy efficiency standards for appliances. The refrigerator you buy today, even if it's not an energy store, uses three times less energy than the same refrigerator did uh, just 25 years ago. Okay. So Vermont is picking those up, and we are leading the country in that. We have the most advanced, and again, it's, it'll be nothing anybody will hardly, the hardly notice it. Um, they're all, they are all cost-effective, all the appliances, um, uh, and uh, we are already influencing the federal government, even this government, who is threatening to, uh, to uh, take some of the standards away. And Vermont's first bill said, we will, um, almost finished, <laughs> we, will, we will pick up any standard that the, that the feds drop will become a, a state standard. We never had to do it because the feds said, all right, and they, they finally stopped threatening them. Okay. So that's, that's yeah. one of the many, many, many things we can do. Kurt's done a great job in, in being a leader on these energy efficiency bills, and I think that's just one example of what we can do in Vermont, not only to, to be leaders in the nation, to push for standards that are stronger and better across across our country, um, but but what we can do locally to, to make a difference in this, in, in, literally in this climate. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that I heard the statistic that we spend $2 billion in Vermont on fossil fuel. Is that right? two billion dollars and that money largely goes out of state and so i think what we need to be focused on is how can we create more clean renewable energy in our state that keeps those dollars local that creates jobs it spurs innovation um and, and it, it helps our economy and so when we start looking at programs about um, weatherization and continuing to make investments in weatherization in our homes um, looking at doing more um, to create more access to, to heat pumps uh, electric vehicles we have so much opportunity i think in transportation and so those are areas that areas that we'll be continuing to look at this legislative session but i, I I do think that we have just this um, responsibility given what's happening in Washington to make sure that we're doing everything we can to be proactive and push back on some of the really bad policies that deal with climate out of, out of Washington. So one of the questions we have has to do with Vermont's economic outlook, mm -hmm. which is described as not being great. The governor is quite concerned about it. You know, business magazines say that we're really lagging and that we um, our growth is expected to lag behind the rest of the country. So the first question I have for you, Jill, is do you agree with that assessment? And then can you talk about how um, some of these issues that you uh, support that are really important for you, like family leave, um, maybe contribute to a positive economy as opposed sure. to being a drain, which I think many people would argue. Right. Well, Lauren, there are so many studies and reports out there that say one thing or another. For every negative article, we can find a positive article. So what, what I know are the numbers that I get from our Joint Fiscal Office, and, and that's what I work off of. And what, what we're seeing is an opportunity here for us to pass legislation and implement legislation like paid family leave that helps families get ahead. You know, when you have fam people who are having to choose between their paycheck and, and staying home after giving birth <laughs> because they don't have access to a paid family leave policy, when you think of people who are having to make the decision whether to go part-time to take care so they can take care of a, of a, a family member who's, who's really sick. I mean, I think it's unacceptable that there are people who are having to use their lunch break to go and get chemo treatment 
that's not Vermont, that doesn't reflect our values, and that's why I think if we can get this paid family leave policy passed again this upcoming session and get it to the governor's desk, um, we, we, need that, we need that policy in Vermont. I think not only does it help a lot of Vermonters when it comes to growing their families, I think it recruits people to come to our state. When we're talking about what policies we can pass where, um, where people are looking for a new job and a great place to live. You know, we have a, a great reputation of a really high quality of life. If we can talk about being one of the only states, I think seven, uh, that offer something like this to families, I think that, that is, helps us recruit more people to our state. And I think it also helps um, in some of our issues around childcare. You know, trying to find access to high quality infant care in our state is really hard and it's really expensive. So even 12 weeks together, I believe makes a difference for families. So, um, so like I said, we gotta focus on paid family leave. We gotta focus on raising the minimum wage and also look at other policies to help with equal pay and workforce development for women. So let me just ask you a quick follow-up on that, sure. um, and that is, what about the impact on businesses who need to pay and subsidize these benefits? So the policy that we passed, the paid family leave bill, was um, did not have an employer contribution. It was only an employee contribution. And when I talk to small businesses about this bill, what they, what they say consistently um, the theme I hear is we're trying to compete with these really big businesses in town that offer these all of these benefits like like paid family leave um, and lots of vacation time and they can't compete they just can't so if this was if this was implemented it would help actually level the playing field for small businesses when it comes to benefits like paid leave we also have done work around pension and ensuring that we can create um, a statewide pension program for people for retirement a better way to put it would be retirement, and that's something that um, Beth Pierce has been working really hard on, and, and we did pass. And so I think um, paid family leave and retirement, those are two things that can really help make a difference for families. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Kurt, what's your view of Vermont's economic situation? Do you think it's dire, and do you, um, you know, what is your view about how to promote um, value and growth in the state? Well, first, I'd like to thank you for the the questions that you sent us, um, and the one on on the economy. The, um, I was looking for the word economic growth, and it wasn't in there. And I just want to tell you that I appreciate that. So, in general, we are stuck in an economic model in this country that has to grow. It has to, uh, otherwise, it's not healthy, and that's true. And that has to change. And um, now. Do I have any legislation about how to do that? No. But uh, although we, I did get a resolution through last year to honor the, um, uh, the Center for the Advancement of the Steady State Economy. So your question almost implied that by not mentioning growth. Um, and, but again, we are stuck in, in, in such a, an economic model, in this world, really, in, in, the, in the global economy, and especially in this country. Um, uh, I believe in a district like ours, it, it, one can can say without getting killed that they actually think we need a steady state economy instead of a growth economy. And can you describe and, what that means? Mm -hmm. Yes, it means that the total size of the economy becomes roughly stable, stops growing, doesn't doesn't depress and doesn't grow. Uh, and the idea is because the planet cannot afford an economy and the population 
number that const it's constantly growing. You know, where is it, where is it going to wind up? What's going to happen in the end? What's happening now? I mean, it's not sustainable now. It, it never was. And so it's going to become less sustainable as, economic, as economies grow and as populations grow. And more people want that growth. So how so, do you see that playing out in Vermont? Basically, well, again, it's just the, it's the premise I'm giving to, and thanking you for, for your question. I can, I, with, without any uh, problem, I can answer, answer your question. Whereas if you had said growth, I'm, I always struggle with that because I, 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 I do not think ultimately we want our economy to grow. Having said that, at this point, we do in our state because it's the model we're stuck in. So we have to do what we can to, to, uh, to change that. And it basically, it's, it's basically you know, a sharing of the economy so that, um, the, of course, we should have a minimum wage that's much higher. And Jill and I worked really hard last year on the $15 minimum wage. Um, and we had 50 uh, co-sponsors of the legislation, uh, and we passed it. The only compromise made on our original bill was just went to six years from five years. Um, so of course we need a, a much higher minimum wage. And I also think we need, we don't need to have super wealth anymore. And I think one way to address that in Vermont, and it's one thing I'm just looking into now, because I'm also on the UVM Board of Trustees, and we are looking now to hire a new president. And their salaries are, you know, not what, the, what most people make. As a matter of fact, they're not what most people who work at the school make. Um, and so in that capacity, I'm going to be looking at um, uh, a um, salary uh, ratio um, requirement. That is that, um, and I haven't decided on the number that I'll be proposing yet. It's not going to happen anytime soon. I'll be proposing it soon. But it's something that, to start talking about because there's no question in my mind, things like that will be the case in 10 or 20 years. So as Barack Obama would sometimes say, which side of history do you want to be on? Because history will look back to when this started and who fought it and why. And for so many years, it was awful. Raising minimum wage, I think the same thing. So you asked, Jill, um, what about um, uh, small businesses? I think that when you um, have better benefits, and I, I think you maybe asked it the opposite. You had said the employees, employers covering the benefits. It's the state that covers the benefits when the employee doesn't make enough money, which I think was the point you were making. Um, and I think Bernie Sanders' proposed legislation is, 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 is great. Again, probably not going to happen anytime soon, but we need to start talking about that, which is that uh, employers that underpay and under can simply be defined by do they need benefits? If you do, if you qualify for benefits, then you're underpaid if you work full time, right? So same thing. I think the higher salaries need to be brought down and the lower salaries up and have a required ratios. So let me just ask, I'm going to just move on to another yeah. question, yes. which is water quality and how do we increase funding to clean up Vermont lakes and rivers? Um, I'm going to answer that by telling you quickly about a, a conversation I had with a Republican friend who I won't name um, at the end of a vote that we had last year when we did not have enough votes to um, put more money into water quality. I don't even remember what tax we were raising. It was minor increase. It was no big deal. Hardly noticeable. But the governor had taken that stand, which I think was very unfortunate. And I think actually 
out of his character. I think it, I was surprised he did it in his big speech when he said, you know, he will not support any increase in anything, any uh, fees or taxes. Not tax, even a fee. Right. Not even a fee. And I remember when George H. Bush did that, it was a mistake because he did the right thing a few years later by supporting the raising of taxes, and then he got voted out of office because the Democrats were able to make a liar out of him. Scott wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to lie, so he stuck to it. I asked the Republican friend, I said, you know, you guys get to stand up with us and say you support water quality and you don't like what's happening to Lake Champlain and you don't like that we haven't finished our combined sewer overflow program yet and you don't like what's happening with agriculture and water pollution and, and you want to do something about it. You get to say that as we do and where are you when it comes to paying for it? You know, if you don't like this package, give us one. I didn't see any amendments out there because I probably would have voted for any of them to, to improve the water quality of the state, and I think that's what the whole state would support. So what taxes, you know, I don't know. The, the, the parcel fee was fine with me on property. Uh, probably the best one would be um, uh, a surcharge on the income tax, only on the wealthy. They're so undertaxed now. Um, you know what I mean? So it's, which idea, who knows, and ways and means will bring out something that's passable, but hopefully this time Republicans will vote for it. So, Jill, what's your view on solving the funding problem for Clean Lakes? And <laughs> well, I, I, well I say, I'll say that I think uh, voters will determine what happens on water quality issues in November, right? Because, as Kurt said, Governor Scott refuses to sign any bill that has a new or raised tax or fee in it. And in order to be and really tackle this this issue around water quality and take it seriously, it needs a dedicated funding source. And so um, I will make my plea to, to pe the people of Vermont that if you want to see results and you want us to make investments, long-term investments in clean water, um, vote for candidates who support um, investing in clean water because we're going to be back to right where we were with debating some sort of minuscule change in, in revenue um, to, to tackle this problem and it's not going to work. Um, I, I will say that one of the things that we've been working on in our capital budget is making more room for projects that are shovel ready um, to get those projects going and off the ground. I think that's really important. I think that um, we should... Would water quality be one of those examples? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Yes, that are, so these projects in the budget are dedicated to shovel-ready projects to help with clean water across the state. And, um, you know, some other conversations we've been having that are broader than just how to fund, um, but how can we prevent? Um, what are we doing right now to clean up our lakes and streams and the pollution that, that's in it? You know, I think the concern that we've been seeing with PFOA and Bennington and other parts of the state, um, the governor vetoed a bill that would help protect people in those, um, in those situations when faced with those toxic chemicals. And it's all, it's all around us, like even living in the old North End, um, you know, we've been dealing with, a, with an issue with some contaminated soil um, because of a dry cleaning facility. So I think that, uh, you know, in order to make sure uh, we're doing everything we can to help families and, and to protect public health and the economy, uh, we have to look at this at all angles. So I think the, a funding source, a long-term funding source is important, but I think tackling it from these other angles too is, um, is really critical if we're going to take this seriously. 
So we have about five minutes left. So you actually, what, you could answer any one of those questions that you want. <laughs> well, well, I'll say this. I really like, there's one of the questions that you, you talked about was, what's an idea um, that you've heard from a constituent that you really like? And I think on this water quality issue, uh, Kurt and I sat down with a constituent who cares a lot about water quality, and that's his line of work. And he was talking about how there are these chemicals that are part of um, driveways when they're we're creating driveways and there's this certain type of chemical that's still being used and it's used in parking lots and this chemical ends up getting in the lake and it's a problem so it was just so it was lovely because there was this great connection to be like you know we're like what's the problem we need to solve when we're talking about solving the clean water problem what can we do on the prevention side of things and here is one great example of one clear thing we could do and Kurt and I you know we're going to work on that bill and we're going to get it introduced and we're going to talk um, and build a coalition around it and it was because of that conversation with the constituent and that's that's what I love about being in the house because we're able just to have these conversations like literally at Barrio coming up with these ideas um, from people in the community about how we can how we can make our environment better. So that's that's what I I'm happy to share and answer. <laughs> so what what's the best idea you've heard on the campaign trail? Um, who that might be it, um, but um, well, I don't know. Uh, it's more than an idea. Of, we'll have a bond question, which which I'd like to make a pitch for. Uh, speaking of water quality, um, to um, uh, improve our um, infrastructure here uh, and get more of the um, uh, combined sewer overflow um, uh, separated so that we stop um, mixing mixing stormwater with sewage water and dumping and flooding the, uh, the plants and then that's how we have the problems in the summer in the lake and um, b believe me we're doing what we can to, to lower property taxes, and this is going to raise them a little bit. But um, I think Burlingtonians have always voted for um, for the, this kind of infrastructure, even though we don't like our property taxes. When it comes to property taxes, the thing to change is to stop supporting paying for education with property taxes. That's the problem. There's probably no better way to do the sewer plants. And don't, don't forget, when we improve our sewer plants, you actually pay for that on your water bill. So can you just clarify, so there's a ballot question in yep. Burlington? Yes. Just, just it's a bond just, issue. It's a bond issue. Just say one more time what it is for. Well, um, it's kind of technical, so I, I don't, I don't, don't want to make any mistakes about it, but it's, it's to make the improvements that we haven't made yet. It's not that anything was done incorrectly. We put a lot of money into combined sewer overflow years ago. Yep, uh, I, I was a part of that because I chaired the Natural Resources and Energy and representing Rutland, even though most of the money came here because that's where it was needed. And um, so, but we never did finish the job. We did the worst things first. So it's, it's, it's to separate um, uh, stormwater uh, from, from wastewater. Got it. Yep, and it'll be paid for again on your, um, on your water bill, and yeah. that makes sense. You, yeah. the, the more water you use, that means the more you're discharging, uh, and the more you you, you think you, you might want to want to pay for. Do you have a 30-second closing comment? Yes, since I touched on it, because I really uh, I really want this bond issue to pass. I, I believe it will. But um, the thing to put pressure on us, I think, with our property taxes, our property taxes are so high. Even uh, Act 60, um, whenever that was, I wasn't there then. 
But I believe um, a, a golden opportunity was not taken advantage of, and that is we should be paying for education on the income tax, not on the property tax. I say all of it, not just a little piece, not just income incentivizing, but rather um, uh, a whole new funding system at which pay, we pay for schools on the income tax. Okay. Thank you so much, Kurt McCormick. <laughs> well, I would just like to say that, uh, you know, again, I'm running for re-election because I want a Vermont that works for everyone, not just the wealthy few. And so I really welcome any feedback and any questions from constituents to talk about this upcoming session and what they want us to work on. I, I, I pledge that I will continue to work hard for this district. and. Um, I really hope that I can count on your support on November 6th. And so with your help, we can get paid family leave back and passed, minimum wage passed. We can continue to fight for legislation that helps women and families thrive. So I hope you can, I can count on your support. Thank you so much. So we've been speaking with Jill Krowinski and Kurt McCormick, who are the current representatives, the incumbents, and running for re-election in Burlington's District 6-3. That's the Old North End. Don't forget Election Day is the 6th of November. You have opportunities to vote early. And certainly don't forget to vote on by November 6th. Thanks for watching and stay tuned here on Channel 17 for more coverage of general elections 2018.